0: Were you taught that you're always a sinner no matter what you do and even after you became a believer? Well, I've got good news for you, friend. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 298, James Brand Smith and Loved Beyond Imagination. We're going to talk about how God sees us today, and it's going to rock your world. Let's go. <laughs> This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining us. I love it when we get to have conversations and we get to just dive into the spiritual journey, as you know. And we're going to do that today. I can't wait. Uh, you're, when you enjoy this episode, would you do me a favor? Go out to, I don't care whatever app you're listening to, hit that share button and either send it to a friend share it on social media, tag me, tag halfway there podcast. It means a lot to me and I uh, would be happily uh, retweet or share or whatever as a best compliment you can give us as well for, for the show. So I appreciate that. If you're able, you want to help support the show via uh, po- Patreon, you can do that too. Go to halfwaytherepodcast.com and just uh, hit that Patreon button and I appreciate all of you who, help out with that. That does keep the show running. We appreciate it. All right, friends, this is a conversation today that I've been so excited to have and one I've wanted to have for a very long time. So I'm excited that we get to do it today. Our guest, he's a pastor and an author, and his latest book is called The Good and Beautiful You. Our guest is James Brian Smith. James, welcome to Halfway There.
1: I am happy to be here. Just It's wonderful, Eric. Thanks.
0: I am excited to, to connect with you and It's gonna be great. So uh, obviously, it's not enough to say that you're a pastor and an author. So tell me, tell me more about kind of where you are and and where God has you. What you're, what you're up to right now these days?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm. I mean, my actual day jobs is a college professor. Um, I teach at Friends University, and have for 32 years. Um, I've always been in the church though. So when you when you uh, call me a pastor, that's true too. I'm a teaching pastor at uh, a United Methodist Church. I'm an ordained UMC guy. And I uh, love the church. So, but yeah, my my regular job is in the classroom with college students, uh, undergrads, grad students. And uh, that's kind of what, what makes my heart ah, sing.
0: Yeah. Why? Why does it do that? I, when When students come to
1: an awareness, and I'm blessed to teach nothing, not that there's anything wrong with economics or biology, but I get to teach spiritual formation. So when a student has an aha and they go, wow, God loves me. Or the kingdom of God is here now. uh, Or man, God wants to speak with me in prayer. And, you know, when I, when I see those things happen, it's, it's just delightful. I mean, one day in class, I, um, we were talking about how do we identify as Christians? And I just said, well, if, if you follow Paul's advice, Paul said, we're in Christ or Christ in us 89 times. So I said, we should identify as people in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I said that in class, and I'll tell you what, Eric, I looked down, I looked back from the chalkboard, every head was down writing that phrase, yep. I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I went, and they looked up with this this glow on their face, and I went, I love teaching, you know, because <laughs> that's, that's what they just they just encountered a truth in a way that with words I love that that spoke to their heart and warmed them. And, and, uh, and there was one student in that class who I'd see him the rest of the semester and see him across campus. And he said, Hey, Dr. Smith, it's me in whom one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I'd be like, yes, you are. You know? So it just, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Okay. So I have to ask about that because one of the things, so these are all Christian kids group yeah. christian right and yeah. this is a profound truth for them they've they maybe not heard it before mm-hmm. what do you make of right. that
1: well a lot of things i can say i mean <laughs> yeah we we have we we typically identify as sinners right we think i'm just an old sinner saved by grace and maybe have a bumper sticker or a t-shirt that says it uh, but paul didn't do that paul would refer to christians as saints and he he uh now I mean, he 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 said to the saints at Corinth. That's how he dressed dressed the letter to the Corinthians, and they were not saintly in their behavior. So, and Paul understood they were sinful in behavior, but that wasn't their their primary identity. So, you know, Paul's identity is in the risen Christ. It's it's an eschatological kind of identity. So that's why he could say, you know, Christ in us, or we're in Christ, right? And that's the fundamental identity. And yeah, it's a it's a truth that's there, but we often don't hear it. So. But it's a life changer that that little narrative,
0: right, okay, so this is the reason that I wanted to speak to you obviously i I respect all of your work, but when I saw this book, I went, yes, that's a conversation that we need to be having. It's one of the conversations I try to have on this podcast whenever I can because uh, just as you said, we're not saying it, right? I grew up evangelical, standard, you know run-of the mill evangelical free church, right uh in Iowa. So not terribly far from you. And just like the only message that we got, even in my theological education, the main message was you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And even if after in Christ, don't trust yourself too much. You're a sinner. Don't think about, you know, don't, don't get Mm -hmm. too proud. You're a sinner. And there's this sense of like, you don't ever get to be anything, but a sinner, even after, even with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I started to come to a place where I went, that's not right. That's not what I see. Just like you said, that's not what Paul's saying. Mm-hmm. And that we don't put enough emphasis on who we are actually in Christ. So you're addressing that in the good and beautiful you.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a, it's a fundamental change. How our our self narratives, how we define ourselves is crucial. And we live in a world that says you're valuable based on three things. How do I, how I look, uh, my talents and abilities, what I can do. And, um, and what I have, my, my finances, my, my, my family system, like where, where I, where I grew up and so forth. So that's the world that we swim in and people have just horrible narratives about themselves in the secular world because who's that attractive or who's that talented or who's that wealthy. And so everybody's living in this precarious sense of uh, how do I determine my significance? And uh, that was really what was driving me with this book. Because as you said, Eric, I mean, I see this with Christians, uh, really toxic, Self narratives, yes, and one of them being, you know, that I am a rotten, slimy, awful sinner, and and there's a history behind that, and there's a part of that that's true. Paul called himself the chief of sinners, but that was to accentuate grace, to say that uh, I, I can't out sin grace. That grace is there for me, even I who did horrible things. Paul knew that, but we are reconciled by Christ. We are brought into a new sphere of existence. And we are fundamentally all new people in him. And so I don't identify that. I, I recognize that that I have sin in my life, but that's not my fundamental identity. I am uh, a unique, beloved child of God. And that's not narcissism because some people go, well, it's, you need to think badly of yourself. Yes. Uh, no, no. Actually, I think it goes a lot better if I think I'm pretty marvelous. <laughs> the, yes. That God, God delights in me. That, mm. that hasn't actually caused me to sin more. Um, but if I think if my, if my self-identity is I'm an old sinner, saved by grace, then I guess sin becomes normative for me. If that's, if I'm a sinner, then sinning's what I ought to do. I've never sinned once and thought that was a good thing. Right. Every time I've ever done it, it was pretty destructive because it's not how I'm made.
0: Right. Okay. So you're hitting on a couple of things and I want to get into your story because I do want to hear that, but this is awesome. So um I, Yes. So the, this whole idea of this sort of worm I'm a worm theology, this, this whole thing, people who are steeped in that have a real problem when you say something like, actually, I think it's better if I'm kind of marvelous, right? Like, mm-hmm. which I think reading scripture and you read about God's love for humanity is his way of, you know, pursuing. And even in the midst of all the, the sin and the yuck and the stuff, you, I don't know how you can make any other kind of judgment. But since we do, people get really offended by the fact, by when you say things like that. So how do you, how do you address that? How do you, you know, move, respond to that kind of situation? Cause I get this all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, look, um, there are lots of theories of the atonement and and penalty substitution is, is one that is really common amongst evangelicals. Uh, it came about in the Reformation, was the idea of the courtroom. You're a guilty sinner, Jesus took your your beating. And um, it's all to accentuate grace. You know, the early church didn't really use penalty substitution. It was more Christus Victor was the primary theory Mm -hmm. of the atonement, that Christ had defeated sin and death and the empire itself, and that that Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. Uh, So there's lots of ways to to talk about the atonement, which means at-one-ment, which means you and I can be reconciled to God. Um, Jesus talked about renewal. Paul talked about reconciliation. Peter talked about restoration. Those are good words, you know? Yeah. But but somehow what happened in evangelicalism in the late 19th and 20th century was we came up with a gospel that was essentially stated in such a way to get people to make a decision. We wanted them to make a decision that Jesus was Lord and Savior. So like if you say you're a horrible sinner and you're destined to burn in hell forever, uh, people Immediately go, well, I don't want to do that. So, how do <laughs> what's my alternative? Well, accept him as Lord and then you can go to heaven when you die. And that version of the gospel, which isn't entirely wrong, it's just, it's just truncated, it's just shrunken. Mm. But that, that if you just take penalty substitution and say, this is what Christianity is, you end up with we're pretty horrible sinners that God isn't too pleased with, but Jesus took our beating so we don't maybe have to burn. And I know I'm, Painting with big strokes here, yeah, but yeah. that's what I, I mean. I I see it all the time, even in in some of my college students. Who, um, I mean, I had a student not too long ago say to me in class, "Didn't Jesus say if you don't accept me, you're going to burn in hell?" I said, "You actually, you can't actually make him say that. He doesn't say it anywhere. He doesn't actually ever give you that arrangement. So it's it's uh, there's a lot at stake. I mean, like, well, I mean, if you would ask, me, Eric, what's at stake? I don't know, discipleship, evangelism, social justice. We, de- If if everything's rotten and this world is going to burn, then we're just waiting to die. And um, that's not, that's not, I think, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus was you could have an interactive life with God now. Yeah. You, heaven is here now. And you can make a difference in this world, in your own life, because you are a sacred child of God, divinely designed.
0: Yes. Okay. So I would go so far as to say, even that some of the problems that the American evangelical church is having right now is because we don't value human beings highly enough. We preach don't, it. We don't believe that God has made us both powerful and amazing and he loves us. So that's a fantastic. All right. So I want to get to your story. I could talk about this all all, all day and maybe we'll come back Me to too. it. Me too. <laughs> well, obviously you wrote a book on it, so that's great, but we need it. We need it so desperately. We need a good anthropology a new a new way of understanding right uh who, who people are which i i just just remember it I, I didn't billy graham like study anthropology was that one of it i that's anyway, probably not relevant but my adhd brain wanted to go there <laughs> so tell me about you let's let's go um tell tell me about you like where did you grow up you're in wichita now but did you grow up there where, where are you from
1: well you're you'll never guess i grew up in denver so, oh Denver, great yes, place to be. Yes, go Broncos. Yeah, I grew up in Denver, and um, I, I, my family went to a Methodist church growing up. Church was kind of boring for me; didn't really care for it. Didn't get anything out of it. Um, but my senior year, I was f- for no reason. I had a g- really great family, great friends. I was a good athlete. Life was good, and um, but I felt empty, and so I went on kind of a search and ended up meeting a guy who was a, he was a part-time uh, fireman, part-time street evangelist in Denver. Oh, and wow. he, and he, uh, we spent a summer reading the, the gospels together, reading C.S. Lewis together. And by the end of the summer, before my, uh, before I went to college, I accepted Christ and, and my life really changed. I ended up going to Friends university ultimately where Richard Foster, who wrote Celebration of Discipline was a professor and so I just got to, I was blessed to get to meet him and have a class with him. And he decided to mentor me. And so through Dallas, I got to know Henry Nowen. He introduced me to his friend, Henry Nowen. Then we started a ministry called Renovare in 1988. And Dallas Willard was a part of that original group. And so I, I call myself Eric, I call myself the Forrest Gump of the Christian publishing world because, you know, in the movie, <laughs> Forrest Gump met all these, john lennon and muhammad ali and you know presidents right. and so any he, and he didn't do any there was no reason he didn't earn it he didn't deserve it and i feel the same way so i got you know richard and henry and dallas and brennan manning became a good friend rich mullins the christian singer wow. lived in my attic for two years really in an attic apartment yeah oh. he, he yeah he, he finished his college at Friends university as an adult and he ended up living in an attic apartment in our house. And so just, and it just, the list goes on and on. I get to meet mm. Eugene Peterson and, yeah. and uh, just all these incredible, uh, yeah. And so my, my bio is like, for like, I don't know, I didn't do anything, but all these <laughs> wonderful people became a part of my life and and shaped me a lot.
0: Well, and but that's a great point because sometimes the Lord uses all those people, right? To shape you and who you become and how you understand things. Um, that's really fascinating, man. Rich Mullins, even now when I go and listen like on YouTube or something, I go and find every, every so often, I feel like I have to have a Rich Mullins face to just like Mm. some, somehow he captured something that was just like, oh.
1: He did. And can I, can I plug something? So next year's the 25th anniversary of Rich's passing. And so Mm. we are having a celebration at Friends University. And, uh, it's, it's going to be a cool night. It's going to be on his actual birthday, October 21st, 2023. Wow. And it's a celebration. And then at this university, we also have raised money to build an archive room, um, to oh, have cool. really some of like his dulcimer and some of his, some of his artifacts and souvenirs and things about his life. And, and it's going to be really cool. So I'm excited if anybody, I guess, if you go to the apprenticeinstitute.org, that's our website that hosts those events. Um, you can check it out because it's going to be cool. And we're already, we haven't even advertised and we have like over a hundred people signed up when we have room for 600. So wow. it's going to be a cool night. You should be here, Eric.
0: I should be there. That's a great idea. I will idea. comp your ticket. Okay. Hey, I'm going to hold you <laughs> that. I got it on recording. Um, very fascinating. I, I can't help but think at uh, two thoughts at the same time. One is uh, his friends would really love that. And I don't think Rich Mullins would. <laughs> I think he would be a little, a little like, no, don't, don't worry about me, but
1: absolutely. You're, you're spot on. He wouldn't. And and we talked about that. Like what, what would we do? That would be something Rich would, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to sing a songs. We're not going to have a professional yeah. band. we got a house band. His brother's going to lead that. And we're just going to sing along. Cause you know, the thing about Rich was his lyrics. The lyrics were yeah. so, and the music was great to be sure, but boy, there's not a lot of Christian music from that era that you're going, man, the lyrics still stand the test of time. So, but no, his...
0: There's not um, songs. And then also the Jesus record that came out after he died was this, oh, yeah. there. There are a couple songs on there. I just can't, to this day, I go and it just make me weep. Anyway. Okay. Me too. Love it. That's amazing. I'll come. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be <laughs> fantastic. Um, Okay.
1: So it's only a seven hour drive from Denver. Go ahead. I
0: know. Well, yes. I remember where I was the day I found, I learned that he died. I was driving, I went to Trinity in Highland Park or in uh, Deerfield, Illinois. Mm, yeah. And I was driving home from a shift when I was working overnight. Um, anyway, I heard the news. Um, so you've had this, that's amazing. Like all these people that you've had the opportunity to like know, meet um, and kind of speak into you. So were you, you gave your life to Christ kind of before you came out to, out there. How do you, I'm trying to think of the right question. Usually what I want to know is follow the spiritual journey, right? You find Christ. Then there's usually this period of where you're like adopting all these beliefs and these, you're learning to live in the way of Christ. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, uh, the formative years uh, in college with Richard Foster were amazing because he he was writing about the spiritual life and, uh, and I was such a new Christian. I, I didn't know that that was weird. Like I I thought everybody practiced solitude, silence, fasting, worship, you know, meditative prayer. I mean, I just thought that was normative. And so it wasn't until I went to seminary and went, Oh no, that was a strange experience that I had. So I went to Yale divinity school and that was really largely because Henry Nowen had, had, had suggested that I go there because he had taught there. So wow. I went there, and and it was a powerful experience. But seminary is, you know, sometimes hard on your faith too, because it's so academic and not very uh, much about your own journey. So you have to work hard. And Henry told me that in a letter. He said, "You're going to have to work hard for your own spiritual formation in seminary, because it just won't happen." But I got out of there okay, and and then was ordained uh, in the United Methodist Church. Served in a church for a few years, and that was helpful to me. It was to, it it helped me learn that I. You know, am not called to be a pastor full time. Okay. Um, I mean, cause there's just so many parts of that job. I have such respect for pastors because you have to be good in the pulpit, good in the boardroom, good in yeah. every, there's just too many hats to wear and I'm just a good teacher. And well, I hope I think so. And I can preach. So, but, uh, that wasn't the, the job, but Friends University created a position for a chaplain slash professor And it was the perfect match for me, so I I took that on in 1990. I came on and I've been here ever since, 32 years. So I love what I do. I love uh, helping students grow in their faith. And but yeah, lots lots of turns along the way.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, so give me some. Tell me about some moments when you were kind of either in that process, either in college. I'm I'm just I'm really. I'm just, it's amazing that you got to study with Dallas Willard or with um, Richard Foster. You can't see it, but these shelves are all full of, those are all my, (laughs) my Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, all those people. Nice. Um, uh, But so was there a moment for you, like where you experienced the Lord in ways in these practices that you were learning that were weird, but you didn't know they were weird? Like, was there, like, tell me that story.
1: I had many, 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 uh, you know, just to, to create space for God in your life, which is what Richard was teaching me about the disciplines. The disciplines don't, they're not spiritual. They're just, they, they, uh, they place us before God so that God can meet us. And so I, I learned that early on. If I could just set aside time to, in solitude and silence and have a journal and have the Bible and and open myself to be with God, that God would speak and do things. So that that's been the heartbeat of my faith from early on. Wow. And it's, it sustained me a long time. Um, but I write in this new book that, that there was a point at which I, I forgot to do that, which is why I wrote this book, because after uh, a book I wrote called The Good and Beautiful God came out, Richard and I were, he had written a book. And so we were both at a this Christian booksellers convention and um, we had lunch together and he said, Hey, I just want to give you a word. And I said, okay. And he said, this book's gonna become very popular, mm. and I hadn't had a book that had been a bestseller. I mean, I'd had, I'd written—I don't know—at that point five books or something. But, and he said it's going to change your life, and you're going to go from the minor leagues to the major leagues, and you're going to have to guard your soul because it's going to be really hard on you. And I thought, well, I have no what you—I have no idea what you're talking about. I—that I, sounds, I okay, thanks. I don't know what to say to that. And he said, no, really, write that down. And I wrote it down <laughs> on a napkin. You know, I have to guard my soul. Wow. And uh, but he was very prophetic and I didn't know because what happened to me, Eric was, and Richard knew this would happen is it's weird because we often think that trials and tragedies and suffering is going to really damage our faith. You know what really hurts people? Success. like success is actually wow. quite often much harder uh, to deal with because it throws us off. It makes us think that we did something. it you know I'm, I, I'm also friends. This is odd with William Paul Young who wrote the Shack. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Paul told me, he said, if I'd written the shack when I was 40, it would have killed me. Mm. Cause you know, that book sold 22 million copies. It's crazy yeah. what that book did. But he said, uh, you know, he said, but my life fell apart. I had to do a lot of therapy. I had to do, go through a lot of healing. And by the time I wrote it, when I was 50, it, I was okay. Like the success didn't bother me. So, you know, I didn't have a moral failure or a breakdown or, or, you know, commit some, whatever, an addiction. I just was lost. So in my own journey, Um, that, that was the wake up call when Richard had warned me about that. And when I hit that point, I went, I think I've forgotten my first love. I've forgotten. I got so busy with ministry. I got so busy Mm. thinking that the work I was doing for God was more important than being with God. Wow. And uh, that's of course a trap for a lot of people in ministry, but I had to get back.
0: That's so true. But that's, that's so, I think we have a culture of that glorifies that. Um. Did Richard say that because he had gone through something similar?
1: Precisely. Yeah. Cause I saw him, um, like it was about, so seven, eight years later. And, um, that when he said that maybe more, but anyway, it was a long time afterwards and, um, we had dinner and I said, you remember when you said that to me, I said, how did you, how did you know that? And he goes, because it happened to me. Wow. And, um, and of course, you know, me celebration of discipline. Yeah. No, that's off the chart success. I mean, in, in 2000, Christianity Today named that book, the top five, the number five book of the century. So that's like, wow. you know, how do you, it's it's like right behind a C.S. Lewis book or something. So
0: I have, yeah, I have a first edition of that. Right? Oh, over, the red and black over. cover? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to yeah. get, I wish I could get him to sign it. That'd be awesome. But I found it, get this, one of my, my wife's cousin had it in a garage sale. I got it for a dollar. I'm like, are <"You're> you kidding me? <laughs> yes, Wow. Twice. That's cool. Anyway, well, so yeah, so great. That was a huge, huge book. So he kind of gone through that a little bit and he knew he could see that coming for you. He's like, people are going to enjoy this book and they're going to, it's going to change their relationship with God and that they're going to yeah. put you on a pedestal.
1: Yeah. And it throws you off of what you, you know, yeah, just, it takes you down places you wouldn't think. And I'm, I'd never been there, so I didn't know, but it mm-hmm. did, but I was able to work through, thanks be to God. And, um, that's where I figured out that my soul was suffering and mm. ultimately my soul didn't save me because Jesus couldn't do that. But my, my the longings of my soul led me through a healing process. And that's what led to this book.
0: Well, okay. So talk about that distinction a little bit, because that's, that's really, really good. And it's, it's one that's hard do, to do sometimes. I think um, sometimes we people go on the, error on either side. They, they don't want to talk about the soul. They don't want to talk about the longing and your desire. They think that's all bad or they go all in on that. And then they forget that it's actually, like you said, it's not your soul that saves you, but it's Jesus that saves you as your soul's in submission to him. So like, how did that, I don't know. Can you parse that out for us a little bit so we can learn from?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So when I, when I hit this, this, uh, this kind of little crash that I had. And, um, and I was just wandering and I'd lost my joy. And my wife was like, you need to get your smile back. What's going on. Oh,
0: man.
1: And so I ended up, you know, finding a place where I could go talk to somebody, which was fantastic. And, uh, in that process, I realized that the needs of my soul, I mean, if you think about the words, the word psychotherapy, psych, psych is soul. So yeah. psychology is the study of the soul because Greek word soukas is soul. Um, but, but that, but in the secular world, we've taken away the spiritual dimension, right? But the, but your soul, the spiritual dimension of who you are, uh, is this thing that, that cries out, that has a lot of needs. And, uh, my, my friend, John Ortberg wrote this, this book, soul keeping, and mm-hmm. he talks about how needy our souls are. So I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about my own journey and I thought, gosh, you know, there's so many needs. My, my soul longs to be desired. I want I want to be desired, not, again, narcissistically. Mm-hmm. I just want, you know, when you go into a room and you feel like, I, people don't really want me here. It just it really hurts. Uh, or you go to, into a room and it's, it's a birthday party, the surprise party, you're going, oh my gosh, these people desire me. They love me. Um, it's a longing of the soul. We long to be loved uh, without condition. We long to be um, connected to God. Uh, there's a spiritual transcendent dimension to our soul. So I started looking at all these things. There's a longing for holiness because we talked about earlier, about I'm just an old sinner. Yeah. I, there's a deep longing in my soul for holiness. I, um, I, I long for that. And um, so I just started looking I, I want my soul, my story to be sacred. Like uh, if, if I say to you right now, Eric, you know, your life doesn't matter. That would just crush you. Right. You, it would, it would be painful You think, gee, Jim's a jerk. Why would he say that? (laughs) Not Um, publishing
0: that episode. Yeah, yeah, that
1: guy's bad. But but because our soul wants to know, I want to believe that my life matters. I want to believe that I'm called vocationally to something that matters. And so uh, I started thinking about this and thought, wow, our souls have these incredible needs. But as you said so well, uh, my soul can't save me. But then I looked and went, every need that my soul has, Jesus provides. Every single one of those things is, is exactly who Jesus created me to be, and then he's the answer to all of those things. And when that light came on, after three really hard years of writing this book, when that light came on, I went, oh, that's what we're here for. You know, that's how he designed us. These needs aren't selfish. they're He put them there. They're factory built into each one of us. I I want to be valued. And what is the great uh, Christmas song? And and he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Yeah. Holy night. I love that Oof. line. The, the Christ appeared and the soul feels its worth. Like you are valuable, you're significant and you matter and your story matters. And Jesus, he did that everywhere he went. Every, every person, he treated them as if they were the only person and he valued every individual. And so that's, that's the whole book right there. It's, your soul has a bunch of needs and Jesus meets them all.
0: Yeah. And they're not sinful. I mean, that like that, just that oh, one, right. I could sit with that one thought for a really long time because it's so opposite of what I've told the Christian cultures I've been in. Um, That it's just actually, it's a, your soul is a good thing, right? Your soul and, and the things we do to try to fill those things apart from Jesus. Yeah. Sin, right. We, we sometimes go to those places, but that doesn't mean that underneath there isn't something else that is actually yearning for God and having that ability to look at behavior that is damaging, I guess we could say, uh, as, as really just a, a calling out for that longing that longing and speak Jesus into it. Well, that's, that's a whole different kind of ministry, right? That's a whole Mm -hmm. different kind of way to be in the, uh, with the Lord.
1: Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, it was, that was the real, the real, the game changer for me was just discovering that uh, these needs of my soul um, and they won't be neglected. That's the other thing is that, that that's Mm. your soul just um, it can endure a lot. I mean, our, soul, our, our souls can and do endure so much, but uh, they're not designed for that. They're designed to, uh, to have all of those needs met. And the, the things of this world just can't meet them. They're, they're too precarious. They just don't. I mean, if, if for example, I, I want to feel like uh, I'm desired, uh, well, I, this world will tell me all these crazy things to do to get that money, sex, power. Yeah. Um, all these, these ways to try to get it and manage other people's opinions of us. So that it feels that way. But people's opinions are precarious. They just, they, they come and go. And I mean, how many celebrities do we need to watch just their lives flame out before we realize being rich, famous, and attractive doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't fill the need <laughs> of the soul.
0: Well, that's good. I didn't get any, any of those. So that's good. We're yeah. Okay. So you see marry- we're, you
1: and I are safe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh that's so good. Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking of so many things, but one one thought I'm having while you're talking is you know, we, the Christian culture right now has a real problem with celebrity, right? There's so many you were talking about this with in you know, Richard Foster's warning to you. There's so many people who are just flaming out and I think because they have gotten all those things and still found their those needs not being fulfilled, right? And people are not able I, I'm I grieve for pastors who are just not they don't have anybody they can be real with, right? Right, because yeah. they have to be on all the time. They have to be perfect. They have to know everything, but they can't.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the Orthodox uh, Christians have a great word for this. It's called vain glory. So oh, the, you wow. know, the Orthodox they had eight deadly sins, not seven, and they they split pride into two because there's pride. That is just gener- general, like self-centeredness. But the, uh, the early church understood that there's a kind of pride, it's called vainglory, which means I want you to think well of me because of my righteousness and my religiousness. It's exactly what Jesus criticized with the Pharisees, you know, that they yeah. that they um, were proud of their religious behavior. And that I think a lot of our, our celebrity culture in ministry is that we lift these people up and think that they're a big deal. And uh, it's very sad. And it's just, it's devastating to see these fallen folks, you know, who obviously were gifted, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it'll, it'll prop you up for a while, but it's deadly.
0: It is. And we're seeing it all over the place. Um, interesting. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. So I guess normally I, I, I like to ask a little bit about the dark night of the soul. If you've been through that, maybe, yeah. maybe that was what you are describing earlier. Um, have you had an experience like that? Would you call that a dark night or what, how would you?
1: Yeah, I've had many. I mean, I, I there are, I've never had one that lasted a, a really long time. John of the cross, when he was writing about the dark night of the soul was, was talking about, I mean, he was sort of a doctor of the soul. And he was, mm-hmm. he was saying that, um, there's the sin of of he called it spiritual luxury, or you could say gluttony, and that when we when we become too too concerned too consumed with um, experiencing the ecstasy of being with God or what God gives us, that God at times will withdraw uh, those experiences so that we can learn how not to put our faith in those experiences. And so when people go through these really dry seasons, like, I don't know where God is, I don't know what's going on sometimes, and not always, but sometimes it's a dark night of the soul that help that's helping to purify that so that you can, can come through it and, and, and get to the point where you don't need, uh, you don't love God for what God can give you. Cause that's, that's yeah. what dark nights of the soul are, are meant to help train us. Um, you know, there's Bernard of Clairvaux talked about different kinds of love. There's a love of self for self sake. That's where most of the world is. But then there's a love of God for self sake. And a lot of people in that second stage love God for the things that God gives them. Um, and then the third stage is to love God for God's sake. And that's a place not a lot of people get, but that's where you really just love God. Mm. Not because God gives you anything. And that's a real place of maturity. And then the highest place of all, Bernard said, is love of self for God's sake, which is a, which is very, uh, you know, we don't typically go there in our evangelical Christian world, but it's, and again, it's not narcissism, but he would say, this is where you really do understand this sort of glory of who you are. And he, and even Bernard said, look, most people don't get at that fourth stage and stay there long. You experience it in little hints here and there. Probably it's not healthy, but yeah, <laughs> day in and day out.
0: Well, it's interesting to me how the spiritual journey is not really like we want it to be linear and we're, we want it to be up until the right and that whole thing, but it just doesn't work that way. And you kind of, so even, even the way I generally structure my interviews are uh, from um, uh, the critical journey, right? Like this, that she, they go through those, those stages, but even they say like it's not all it's not linear you you bounce around and you go you go it's kind of the circle mm-hmm. that you go through, um totally. I love that idea though I had not read apparently enough Bernard of Clairvaux um the love of self for God's sake, that says so much right there, right
1: it's where uh, most most of us are, you know and and, and that's okay c s Lewis said that most of us come to God because of the things God gives for us, and that's not entirely bad in fact, he said uh, we're most like God when we're, or we're, we're closest to God when we're least like him. <laughs> Meaning, mm. I, cause you know, I come in my need, I come and, and Paul said our powers made perfect in our, our weakness or God's power, excuse me, is made perfect in our weakness. So I, I don't think it's terribly bad that we come to God with our needs. That's, a, and God understands that, but for maturity's sake, I, I want, I want to try to be at the point where I love God, even if God doesn't provide all of my sort of spiritual yeah. feelings.
0: Well, and you see that in places like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Mm-hmm. Going okay, well, even if God doesn't come through on this, that's it. Habakkuk, right? You know those those kinds of places, right? Uh, Paul, even I would say, right, Where he going to knowing he's going to his his death, but willing to to do that for the sake of the gospel. Um, obviously, yeah, Jesus. Job, yeah,
1: but you know, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Yeah. yeah,
0: which so I bring that up because I think this is one of the things that we like. It's in scripture, we just don't always pay attention to those parts of scripture, right? That's that's part of it. Um, okay. So the, the other thing, and maybe, maybe I, I think we're kind of nibbling on the edge of this, but so the other thing that sometimes the spirit dark night will do is give us some identities, right? Give Or take away some of the identities that we have, that we think we t- have to take on. And then other ones that God tells us who we really are. Like, have you had an experience like that? Or is there a
1: Oh, many, yeah, many times. Because, yeah, again, we're looking to find some, we're all in a search for significance and w- what's going to give that for me? And so if, if I find my significance in, I'm a teacher, a professor, a writer, speaker, what, whatever that thing is that, that makes me feel valuable, uh, we, can, we can assume that's our identity. But it's not our core identity. I mean, our core identity is as sacred children of God uh, who are divinely designed before the foundation of the world. And God brought us into this place with talents and gifts in a body, in a family, in a culture at a time uh, known only to God. And and we are here uh, on this earth, a little space to learn to bear his love and learn to give his love. And that's the center of who I am. And so those things that I do don't define my value or my importance. Those are things that I do because God's called me to those things uh, through gifting and through passion. I, I I'm a teacher because I'm pretty good at it. I'm I, I naturally have gifts to do that, and same with writing. And it's what I love. I mean, some people think God's you know he your calling is to go die in the mission field because if you really yeah. give your life to God, you should suffer. Right. I think no, no. I think he, he, his his uh, everybody quotes Charis of Fire because it's so good. But you know, when I run, I feel his you know his His pleasure, and I think that when I write, I I I sense God's pleasure. When I do the things that I love doing that glorify Him, I feel His pleasure.
0: Wow, you wouldn't know this, but I literally wrote down after that conversation that I told you about earlier today. I feel the pleasure of God when I am curious about other people. (laughs) Oh, see, that's one of your gifts (laughs) today, right? That's my that's my favorite thing. Yeah, Um, because it's it is so fascinating. I think it I think it does say so much about who God is just in the people that he made. Right. I think that's beautiful. Okay. Well, I love all of this and I just, I, but there's so many challenges, right? There's so many challenges. How do we, how does a pastor, maybe a pastor's listening to this or maybe, you know, one of my listeners is, you know, they're, they're just, they go to church and they do their thing, but they're wanting to see God in their life. They're wanting to understand this, but they just don't get it. So how, how, what are some things that our churches could do or, you know, lay people can do to kind of grasp this? Obviously read, read the book, but to, to grasp this sort of idea of who they are uh, in Christ, because I don't know that it's happening. I, don't, I, think, it's, I think it's kind of rare right now. I I
1: agree a hundred percent. And so you're right, it's hard for me not to go, well, just read the good and beautiful you. It's yes, awesome. read it. Friends, I spent a long you, time writing that
0: the good and beautiful uh, <laughs> you, you should get it. You
1: should totally read it.
0: You've got my yeah. endorsement on that. But uh, like, besides that, so I mean I think yeah. we could do they could do studies and they can do that. But right. I feel like it, if it's not impo- if it's not put into the I don't know, I have this image. Have you ever had jello cake? We had yeah. jello cake recently, right? You make the cake and then you poke the holes and you pour the jell over it mm-hmm. and it seeps in. Like I'm thinking, yeah. about, if it doesn't seep in like that yes. and just take over, it's not going to work, right? So it's not going to be enough. So what can we do?
1: Well, you know, for me, meditation uh, on the scripture and particularly memorization of scripture mm-hmm. is profound. I mean, I asked Dallas toward the end of his life, um, what you know, what practices were the most formative for him and um he said solitude was really powerful as a younger person he needed not to be defined by other people and solitude was a practice was a powerful practice but he said in the in the second half of his life scripture memorization Mm -hmm. and for him it wasn't just memorizing a verse here and there it was memorizing passages so he really pushed me to to memorize passages so in colossians 3 was the first one he said "You, you need to do that jim and i so i memorized colossians 3 and uh uh, man. The thing about when you when you memorize a passage of scripture, you take on the order of its of its thought of its truth. So a single verse may have, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that's a that's an encouraging thought. But when you when you memorize Colossians three one through seventeen, you're taking on a system of thought, and implicit in that, like like Colossians three begins. Um, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, see at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, you'll appear with him in glory. Okay. That I just ripped that off quick, but here's the thing. If you slowly go through that, Paul's telling you who you are since then you've, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things for you died. What does that mean? I, within baptism, I, that's the symbol that I died and I rose with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, wait, Jesus is my life. When Christ, who is your life appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. Wow. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. I mean, those are all telling me who I am. Yeah. They're very profound thoughts. And, uh, and we, we read over that passage and don't see it.
0: Yeah. Why, why do you think that is?
1: we i think our our narratives once we get a narrative this is my general theory Eric, mm. is that we pick up and this is where our minds work we we pick up a narrative early on we assume it's true and we never question it until something goes wrong so if we if we're eight years old in a church and we hear that we're an old sinner rotten slimy god is mad at us that gets in you know i mean i had a guy in one of my groups that I, a pilot group that was going through the book and and he said jim i heard horrible narratives about myself when i was a kid and now i'm in my late 50s and yeah i can't get them out <laughs> you know so but but that's true and and sometimes that's helpful like a lot of information we learn i don't want to have to relearn like how to drive my car i just get in my car and drive i don't my body does 99% of it <laughs> you know i don't even i don't even, i can be listening to the radio or or a podcast or whatever yeah. and then my body just knows how to do that so a lot of our learning happens. And it's good that we don't have to relearn all the time. But the nou- downside is if we learn wrong things, it's hard to unlearn them. And so you, you, you have these thoughts and then you read that passage and go, oh, hum, I don't know what that means. I guess when Christ is my life, I'll appear whatever. We just gloss over it.
0: Yeah. It's a little weird to say in this context, but I hear you saying that um, we actually need to be very careful what we believe. It's a belief issue.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: So we get these and this happens in self-development and it happens in all kinds of other things too but if we have this belief about who we are no amount of other things are going to change that, right? Which yeah. might be why Paul was saying this so often in every letter to every church. Um but that so we get that in our heads and we go okay, that's that's what's true and it's hard to change it until we actually admit that it's there, admit that this was what we've learned, ask the Lord to maybe change it and give us a, give us, so their practices, like you're talking about memorization and, and silence and solitude. Um, like those are, that are great for, um, getting into and, and getting at those things. But unless you know that it's there, it's hard to, it's hard to even take it's it very take hard. It out.
1: It's very hard, you know, and, and, uh, Dallas would often say, you know, reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. And so it's not until something goes badly that we start to go, maybe it's what I think, you know, because our narratives run our lives and they can ruin our lives. And I I often say, and this I I stole this great definition from Michael Wise. He's an Old Testament scholar, but he says, faith is seeing reality as God sees it. And I need to see reality as God sees it. So when Jesus says, that I've died and my life is hidden with Christ in God, I need to believe that because Jesus said that was true. And so a lot of the work in formation, and this is really the vast majority of what my work has been, is to change our narratives because I don't, I think until, here's here's how I'd put it. And when the Spirit has changed our narrative sufficiently, we begin to think differently. And as a result, we begin to believe in and trust a good and loving God who's strong and powerful. That's, I need this Holy Spirit to change my mm. narratives. Because I need I want to see reality as God sees reality. And um before until I do that, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I'm on my own.
0: Wow. Yes. And so friends, that's an invitation that I just want to invite you to invite. There's a sentence. Uh mm-hmm. like just ask the Lord to change your to challenge and change your narratives and the things that you've that you've maybe believed about yourself. It can be a hard process, right? It can be a quick mm-hmm. process. It can be an easy process when God brings them to light. But that is the that is the invitation that I'm hearing uh, for us today. Um, man, James, I could totally we could talk about this for a long time. Um, did we cover? You wanted to talk about the soul, like we kind of talked about the soul, right? But and how you got there and how that was really important.
1: Yeah, we did. Yeah, no, no okay. we 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 covered it. That's good. We covered a lot.
0: We did. And it was only 45 minutes. I could go for another, another 45, but that's okay. Uh, So I, yeah, I just love it. I thank you for sharing some of that. I I really wanted to hear this message because I think it is absolutely so critical that we change our self-talk as Christians, as American evangelicals. We've just somewhere got this, got these ideas that uh, they don't serve us anymore. And I think they're starting to starting to really become problematic. So we've got to do it. Thank you for writing about it. Um, People can find you. Your website uh, Mm -hmm. is, what what is your Uh, website?
1: Jamesbryansmith.com. That's pretty easy. Easy (laughs) to find. Yeah, that's in, uh, with a Y, Brian with a Y. Jamesbryansmith.com and then theapprenticeinstitute.org to find out about all the events and things that
0: we're doing. Perfect. I love that. Friends, go there. And the book again is The Good and Beautiful You. You can find it wherever you get books or as always I have links over at halfwaytherepodcast.com at the show notes uh, as well James is there anything you want to leave us with? I just
1: uh, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for whoever is, is, is listening right now and I just want you to know that God is crazy about you and loves you more than you can imagine and uh, would love nothing more than for you to believe that you are sacred and valuable
0: Amen Thanks for being here Thank you.